Let's talk about the wild edge of being human. Hello, soulful listeners. My name is Allison Crow, and I'm just going to hop into it today. I'm going to share a little bit about the zeitgeist of the wild edge of being human. But first, I want to tell you where I see my people suffering. I see my people suffering in the narrows. I see my people, yes, I'm in the car driving to my mom and dad's house. I need to go see them. I want to go see them. I see my people suffering. Person after person after person after person suffering in the shoulds, in the you're doing it wrong stories they tell themselves in their heads. I see my people suffering in the way they force themselves with shame to get back in alignment. I see my people suffering for not being at the lesson of a difficulty quite yet. I see my people suffering with the second sword of judgment. And so the wild edges of being human is about the nuance of the space you have yet to really let yourself compassionately go. You've been forcing yourself into the narrow and rigid either or into the goodness or badness or positive or negative or failure or success. You've been forcing yourself into the polarities instead of compassionately allowing for nuance. And let me tell you why this is important now. It wasn't important when you were a kid. Yeah, sure, maybe there could have been less trauma, (laughs) okay? But think about this for a minute. One of the things I talk with my clients about often because of the way that I see, my brain sees in different dimensions. It sees in layers. It sees systems within systems within systems. It sees in connections. Um, sometimes ad nauseum. And so I want you to imagine this. Um, I, I don't know how old you are listening to this. Many of my clients are Gen X. I have a couple of baby boomers and I have a couple millennials. I do not have any Gen Z clients. Doesn't mean I wouldn't take them, but my clients, um, many are Gen X. And we are known as, like, first of all, the forgotten generation. We're forgotten in any discussions of all these discussions of generations. Everybody goes from baby boomers to millennials. And it's like, hello, fuck you, Gen X, right here, where I've always been pulling the weight and doing the thing and nobody's acknowledging it. 
I see you. Um, and in a very nostalgic way, <laughs> we were sent out in the world to do our thing. Yes, I absolutely acknowledge that we were adultified way too soon, but we were sent out to the world. So I don't know about you, but I grew up and I did, of course, I'm acknowledging privilege, white neighborhood, school, um, resources, all those things. But we, we did grow up in a very stereotypical come home when the sunlight when the street light turns on billy right we were sent to play and we played in the oscar bushes of the neighborhood and we rode our bikes miles and miles from home and traipsed through fields and parking lots and woods and through people's yards and even in the strained the strained dorms the the rain storm drains rain you know the the water tunnels underneath the city of austin <laughs> we decided it would be fun to figure out how to walk from those to our neighborhood pool which is about four miles away and what I can see in those stories is another layer. So I see little kid humans connecting with other little kid humans where our heart's electromagnetic fields were together. We had our little crews, of, we had our neighborhood crew of all the neighborhood kids and sometimes it was just a couple of us and sometimes it was all of us and sometimes we were leaving somebody out and being total dickheads and other times you know we we just had this little crew but we were sent out a into nature b we were sent out with our siblings or our neighborhood kids other little hearts in the same taking up the same physical space so the electromagnetic field of your heart is a biological thing it's not just a woo-woo mystic thing it's a biological thing and it extends approximately 12 feet from your heart and yes we are more connected through technology we are more connected through zoom and these phones and these devices in our ears we are more connected from the head up, but we are less connected in our physical presence and with the electromagnetic fields of our hearts with other human beings. <laughs> and interestingly, post-heart attack, I read a book. I highly recommend it. Don't wait for a heart attack. Just read the book. It's easy read called The Heart Speaks. I cannot remember the name of the doctor who wrote it now. She's a cardiologist in San Diego. Um, the Heart Speaks lessons on how to really heal or something like that. Um, one of the studies she talks about in that book, a documented study on heart disease was this, and I can't remember the name of the community, but there was a community in I think Philadelphia she said it was a neighborhood community in Philadelphia and they could not figure out 
why this zip code was reporting significantly less heart disease than all of the rest of America. Um, however, they're monitoring this. So they go in to study these this the people that live in this zip code to figure out, is it the drinking water? Why are they not dying of heart disease, the number one killer of Americans? And they find that families are living in multi-generational homes and those families are intrinsically interwined and community intertwined into each other's life physically, right? I think it was a pretty dense neighborhood, right? So here in Texas, like we got sprawling houses on sprawling land. Um, So this was a dense I don't know if inner city is the right term, but right, a dense where people were living in a three-story brownstone kind of house with three generations. And this togetherness, it didn't matter that they were eating pasta. It didn't matter that they were drinking wine. It didn't matter the carbs and the food and the exercise. What mattered and what they discovered was the healing principle was the connectedness and community. And listen, I have community online and it's not enough. It's not enough. I have tried to pretend that it's enough because I love being alone. But we, our electromagnetic fields need other human beings. We need belonging to that extent, not just a mental or digital belonging. We need resonance. We need resonance. And and we're living in... So let me finish this story about this community. They noticed that in this community, the, eventually, the um, progression of heart disease began to inch up. And if I recall correctly in the book, when she recounts the study, it's when... Kit, when when they started getting access to computers, there was a greater chance that adult teens, right, leaving high school, would go away to college because they were technology connected, and so the, it increased the likelihood that someone would go instead of going to school if they did go to school that they would go further away instead of stay local and stay living in the house. And as technology allowed for these families to be independent, instead of relying on each other for their primary needs and community, the more connected they became online and the more disconnected they became as a community and a family. And the more heart disease freaking caught up to the rest of the country. And it made so much perfect sense to me. Now, this can be really depressing or this can be like, okay, this is what is, right? Because here's the thing, I get it. I I am married to a man who is so, if you told him today he could take a pill and go back to being 13 years old, he would do it in a heartbeat. 
And it's not that he would go back to course correct. He would go back to just enjoy being 13 year old, 13 years old with feathered back hair and bell bottoms and running wild and free on the, the military base in Oscoda, Michigan, playing stick fights and finding firecrackers and doing shit like that until the sun went down and they were supposed to be home. And I get it. I get it that those were better times. And yes, our parents said things like, stop that crying bullshit, man up, handle it, get over yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we had the counterbalance of running wild and free connected with our siblings and our peers in nature. Now, listen, I didn't live. I lived in the middle of a city, but we still had nature, right? We ran wild and free with Mother Earth. I don't know what it was like to live, to be like to live like in a very big city like New York City, city city where there's I don't know. I'm curious if you grew up in an uh, if you grew up in a really dense city like Philadelphia or New York City that wasn't sprawling like we are here in Texas. I'm so curious as a Gen X person what your childhood was like. What was your version of run free until the lights came back on? What was that like? What were the things that nourished your soul? So yeah, we got fucking neglected in the house, but our souls were nourished in other ways that we do not have unless we choose it as a society now. So this brings me back to here we are, all these adults, and I often share with my clients, and there is a chapter in my book where I've drawn a picture of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I've added a couple, I call it Maslow's hierarchy plus plus. And I don't know about you, I can't speak for your experience, but my experience was that my cognitive, the top of the pyramid was important, was to have cognitive intelligence and then I chose to have, or my church school chose, you know, told me enlightenment is important, like some religious enlightenment. And so those top two areas of the Maslow's hierarchies of needs were important. And then the bottom basics, right? The bottom of the hierarchy of needs is food, water, shelter, some really fundamental needs. And I realize that some of you listening may not have had even your food and shelter needs completely met. There were times when we did not have food. We did not have food. We had shelter. We had a fucking boat. We went to private school, but we didn't have food. That's fucked up. Um, And then in between our cognitive needs, our needs for learning and intelligence and growth are two important pieces of the triangle. So just above our fundamental needs are our needs for safety, physical and nervous system safety. Um, Yeah, nobody even considered our nervous systems. Nobody gave a shit about their nervous systems. And part of the reason was because we had the space I don't know. I can't speak to, I don't remember my nervous system necessarily. I remember, you know, as I recall and worked through some of my trauma, yeah, I had nervous system moments, but I don't remember being in a chronic state 
of nervous system dysregulation. There was a lot of dysregulation in my household, but the thing is we didn't have the overstimulation. If we were in front of a screen, it was on Saturday morning for cartoons and maybe on a Thursday night for NBC with some special show. But we were set out to play, to explore. I make that sound really glamorous, but yeah, I realize that many of us had to fend for ourselves and, you know, some of you were latchkey kids and cooking dinner and doing very adult things that kids shouldn't have to do. But we had the physical space. We did not have, if you take the bits of information in the information and digital age that we are in right now, And it's been a long time, but somewhere I've seen some of this charted out. And if each each of us were to be able to process the bits of information that came in with a dot, right? If you were to mark it on a chart, the stimulation, right? So the point of connection between a piece of information and your nervous system is a a physical touch. It literally has an impact. Okay. It might be an unseen impact or an unfelt at times, but there is a place where contact is made. And the amount of information is, I'm not being hyperbolic here. It is literally overwhelming. My hypothesis is, is that our physical bodies are living in, like we're in the middle of an evolution to be able to handle the amount of stimulation in a digital age. This digital connected age, I love and I hate, and hating it does me no good. And also succumbing to it isn't as useful, right? The easy thing would be, it just is, right? But if we're not mindful about it. And so please be so tender. You're holding, I see my clients doing this. You're holding yourself to a cognitive expectation of a training that you got in a culture that no longer exists, And that we're the first generation and our biology hasn't caught up with, and I don't know if it will ever be able to catch up with, the amount of information and input in our lives. I think, I, you know, I can't, I can't look this up because I'm driving down the road, but stress is defined. So like we know the original definition of stress. Oh, I feel stressed, right? Stress is the pressure of an impact, right? And stress can be good. You can have point A touch point B to point A touch point B and stress is created. That can be an uncomfortable stress or that can be a comfortable stress, right? So not all stress is bad, Some stress is good and all stress, all points of contact create molecules of pressure. 
and those of us that are in my sphere of influence and audience and client base oh (laughs) y'all we are holding ourselves to standards that were put upon us to mental training mental thinking emotional skills that that are irrelevant can you imagine let's just make up an analogy right here can you imagine being told tomorrow that you had to communicate via morse code and maybe you were even given a morse code machine and you were told to communicate using only this device (laughs) hell kids in school now don't even write in cursive right whole other thoughts about that but right like we don't communicate in morse code or with telegrams because the society has shifted and changed. And so what I'm noticing and what the wild edges is about is about learning. First of all, seeing the world differently, a a different, the same world we live in here today now, but seeing it from a different perspective. Pulling back from the judgment, is it good or is it bad? It just is. It ain't changing. It's not changing. And so we can either suffer, which I have totally willfully done all summer long, or we can bypass, which I've had seasons and years of doing that too, or we can learn the skills of navigating nuance. We can learn the emotional, social emotional skills. You know, little kids are being taught social emotional curriculum in schools, which I think is fucking fabulous. But you know who needs it? Gen X, baby boomers. We need social emotional learning curriculum as adults. I watch I watch some of these fourth grade teachers on TikTok and my heart just bursts open. The little ones inside of me, the parts of me are just like, oh, I needed to hear that. I just love it. And it's not that these teachers are being so soft with these kids. These teachers are meeting their kids where they're at because their kids are human beings, not machines. And we're treating ourselves. I see it in my clients every single day. You're treating yourself like a machine. You're treating yourself... Like you should fit into the glossy on a magazine cover. And whether that magazine is entrepreneur or parenting or personal growth or Victoria's Secret, there is a darling uh, woman, brilliant woman, Uh, named Jax, J-A-X, started out on TikTok and YouTube. And you can Google search her video. Um, Jax writes jingles and songs while she babysits. And um, she wrote a song called I Know Victoria's Secret. And I've seen that song for the last few months. I saw it go viral. I saw her get record deals. I saw um, the backlash from Victoria's Secret. I've seen people respond to that. And the other day it came across on my feed. Actually, she was, she was 
had a, one of the kids that she babysits wanted to do a heavy metal version of I Know Victoria's Secret. And so they were doing the heavy metal. And I just sat and I listened to the words. And I listened to the heavy metal angry version of I Know Victoria's Secret. And she talks about, I'm going to slaughter the lyrics. And so Elise will link them in the show notes for us. Thanks to my producer, Elise Rich. It's about how Victoria's secret is that he took little girls' insecurities about their body and held them up against the photo, photoshopped, brushed, not eating, not realistic expectations placed in photos in a magazine to sell his shit. And we bought it. And so it's like, I know Victoria's Secret. I know that he did all these things. Oh, and by the way, it was a dude, (laughs) right? It wasn't even a woman who created that lingerie store. It was a corrupt capitalist who didn't just try to, let me create beauty and functionality and give it to the people who want it. Let me create a false not enoughness by putting an impossible standard to which to hold yourself up to you and then you will buy anything I hand you. And so whatever this false, quote, metaphorical Photoshop version of yourself is, is killing you. It is, it is suffocating your soul. Great, Allison, thanks for depressing us. Okay, Here's the thing. Once you can see it, it, it's going to bitch slap you for a little bit. I don't know about you, but I can't unsee it anywhere now. And yeah, I can get dragged down into the negativity of it. But if I didn't get down into the negativity of it, I couldn't see the solution for it. I cannot cure the world of what ails it. I personally don't want to be a person who ignores it. That's just not in my personal set of values. You don't have to value that. Um, But I value caring. And I can slip into caring too much. Right? Caring so much it makes me miserable. It makes me suffer. Just taking a breath here. Going over some bumps. And so if we've been taught, let's put it this way. One of my, one of my girlfriends called me today and had a conversation with some family member, family members. And she said, oh, I've got some grief to do. I've got some grief to do. We've even turned grief, which is notoriously messy into a to do. And I get it. This is a wise, wise woman. She sets aside time to do her personal work. And I responded back and I said, dear one, there is no grief to do. You do not put grief on your calendar and say, let me do grief on Thursday at 2.35 p.m. for approximately 17 minutes. I said, honey, you cannot go to the container store and pick a pretty little container to tuck grief in. You just got to let grief do you. And I get it because parts of us flare up and go, well, if I feel this, it will never stop. This is where 
taking care of parts, compassion with parts, really changes things. Because I'm going to tell you right now, your parts are not going away. The parts of you that erupt and fight and react and suffer and judge are not going away. I've had two clients recently, some of the most powerful calls. I wish y'all could hear them. But I've had two clients white knuckling. I'm not in alignment. I need to get back into alignment. And my client, Anna, had these really good words. She shared, she didn't share the name of the mentor, but she said one of her mentors said there's an inherent violence in trying. God, that hit, right? And when I watch a client who is showing up out of alignment and then judging themselves for being in a very natural state and then forcing themselves back into alignment, it is literally the epitome of standing by an open door and banging the fuck out of your head on the wall right next to it. And it is what we human beings do. I shouldn't be angry. I need to grieve at two o'clock. I need to set aside some time for grief. I shouldn't be uncomfortable. I shouldn't be unwell. I shouldn't be miserable. I shouldn't be sad. And the invalidation of our suffering is causing so much suffering that we're turning on each other. And trust me, I have been extremely consumed and concerned since 2014 with the turning on of other, like how we turn on each other. I have turned on people and I have been terrified of having somebody I love that I know or somebody that I don't know turn on me. And I suffered in that fear and anxiety for a long time, and I don't regret an ounce of that suffering. By being willing to allow my suffering instead of bypassing it with a change your thinking, change your life, or just try to raise myself on the scale of vibration, right? try to attune myself to some goddamn arbitrary linear and hierarchical structure, I decided to create a cocoon, a circle of wholeness and compassion. I said that like a, like a Midwesterner or New Yorker, compassion. Let me put a little softness in that, compassion. The C, the eight C's of IFS, and a C is almost a circle. One of the one of the things we say in IFS is all parts welcome. And what I noticed is that myself included, and many of my clients do, is they're like, yeah, I'll welcome in that part, and then I need to train change it. I need to make it better. I need to fix it. I need to fix it. And that is making us worse. Right, And here I am in the personal growth industry, and here you are listening to a personal growth podcast. I still believe in personal growth, but I think there is a much more compassionate and gentle way to do it. And that if you never grew an ounce from exactly who you are today, you would still be infinitely worthy and lovable. Your success or failure does not make you better than somebody else or worse. 
your being happy and joyful does not make you better or worse than somebody else. If you're suffering right now, and many, many, many people I know are in a fallow, suffering, difficult season. You're not an unholy human being. In fact, you're here alive living this one life and you've been called to the edges and the edges are the place that mainstream society does not condone. It reminds me of, um, do you remember St. Elmo's Fire? (laughs) St. Elmo's Fire and they're at Mayor Winningham's house. I think, I think they're at Mayor Winningham. They go to her family home, the house for a meal. And there's a relative there that is talking. And whenever she says cancer, she whispers. Oh, and she talks normal, talks normal. Someone's doing drugs. And there were certain topics that she would whisper. And there are so many topics, especially in the personal growth field, that we have put baby in the corner and we whisper. Listen, I've been the worst of it. I can think of a friend right now who lost her husband earlier this year. And because of my inadequate, and I don't mean that as bad, but because of my unpracticed skills and unpracticed experience with grief. And by the way, if I've known you over the last 40 years and somebody you loved has died, I guarantee you, I did not handle it with compassion. I maybe wasn't directly mean to you, but I would absolutely disassociate (laughs) and disconnect. Why? Because I didn't know how to experience my own grief. How could I be with your grief and your pain if I haven't been compassionate with my own? And this summer, I've had a chance to do that to a certain extent. Is my lesson over? No. Is the grief done? No. Do I have a different perspective because I've been willing to meet my own grief and suffering and and misery? And I remember when other people's would show up in their suffering or their suffering. Good God, I can't talk. Their suffering, their misery. And I would squirm. And I wouldn't squirm because of them. If somebody can't hold you, that speaks nothing of you. That speaks of their capacity. My incapacity for discomfort made me squirm around other people who were uncomfortable. That's not a I'm good or I'm bad. That's simply a deficiency of skill. It's a skill. And a skill doesn't make you a good or bad person. A skill is something you develop. You put time on task. And so a lot of the topics on this show are going to be around meeting the wild edges of being human with compassion. And what I coached my two clients on, one sweet one, oh, she went to all her healers this week. She went to all her healers. I went to my healer. I went to my chiropractor. I went to my meditation teacher. I've got to get back in alignment. And I said, honey, how can you get back into alignment unless you find compassion and love for your out of alignment moments? 
I had another client that was talking about never wanting to be in poverty or poor again. And I said, honey, you can never be wealthy until you can embrace uh, poverty. You can never be skinny until you love your fat. You can never sell a home you hate or leave a job you hate until you learn to surrender to it. Until you learn to love it. And I don't mean like red and pink hearts, Valentine's love. I mean just a deep presence and connection. And I wrote today on my Facebook wall... At first, I thought it started March 31st with my dad's stroke, but it actually started, you know, I was so excited for this year, y'all. 2022 was the year I turned 50, bitches. I wanted to have my Oprah moment. Woohoo! I'm turning 50. This could be a great year. Like five people came to my birthday party. You know, your birthday party is supposed to be big on your 50th. And my closest friends were like, I don't want to go to Vegas. Gee, thanks. That's where my birthday party is. Um, And then I came home from Vegas and one dog was diagnosed with heart disease. And then as soon as we got that stabilized, the second dog was diagnosed with a cancer that eight months later turned out to not be cancer, but to be arthritis. That isn't the biggest mind fucking analogy. I don't know what is. (sighs) Dad had a stroke. Went to the hospital, came home from the hospital, fell, had to go back into the hospital, had to go into rehab, had to get mom and dad to sell their house. Mom and dad's house is not one that we would normally put on the market. Certainly mom and dad, after living in a house for 53 years, it's kind of falling down around them, even if it is in a very nice, desirable part of the neighborhood. Sell it off market, get a four-month lease back, and then we begin the four-month process of going through stuff accumulated for years and years and years and years and years finding a new place all the family shit coming up inventory list inventory list right and then i have a fucking heart attack literally two days before my parents are finally out of their house i have a fucking heart attack so let's just add some of your own health problems to that allison right so i have my laundry list please please listen i don't want you to compare your list to my list i want you to create a list and at the top put my suffering is valid and i want you to list everything that has caused you suffering in 2022 and i want you to validate it i don't want you to compare it i want you to validate it and here's what we're used to doing because We were taught this in 1976. Yeah, but the kids in Africa don't have food. So you need to eat the Brussels sprouts on your plate. Instead of saying, I don't like Brussels sprouts. We were manipulated by being compared to starving kids in Africa. No, 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 no. Sorry. It can be both and. We can feel compassion for kids that don't have food, but we don't need to compare ourselves to them. That's, that is, that's violent, especially as a manipulation. Is my suffering more or less than yours? It doesn't matter. It's my suffering. I'm not asking it to be yours. Is your suffering more or less than mine? No. Stop gaslighting yourself. And the reason we gaslight ourselves is because we're in a gaslighting 
culture that is so afraid that if we suffer, we'll become victims. This is another one in the personal growth field. You either have a victim mindset or a growth mindset. Bullshit. Sometimes hard things happen. Do you know that I grow the most when I fucking suffer? And I'm not talking about being a martyr. I'm talking about just being present with my own suffering instead of trying not to suffer. One of the things I see my clients do when they're in the middle of a suffering is they immediately go to the gaslighting. Well, the lesson, I'm sure there will be a lesson. Yeah, but it's not today. Don't skip the suffering to get to the lesson. The lesson will come. But you're invalidating a holy part of your being. And we have been invalidating so much as a Western culture, I can speak specifically to the United States, that we don't know how to, as a cultural, be with difficult times. Ask me how I know. Look at how we're treating each other during difficult times. We're canceling each other. We're abusing each other. I'm literally legitimately afraid to put a political candidate sign in my neighborhood for fear of violence. A girlfriend asked me to be a part of her book club that's in our neighborhood, and I'm scared because I don't have a filter, and I am nervous about how people of my left-leaning politics are treated in my neighborhood both in person and in property. That's fucking insane. (laughs) And so I can suffer at the hands of the insane world and I can rest and rest and rest and I've done a whole lot of resting in the middle of my suffering. And then slowly, as I rest and as I meet compassionately each amount of my suffering as it comes and goes and it's never consistent, very much like grief, it's very squiggly line, And I meet the moment and the moment and the moment and the moment with compassion. Slowly, I began to build up my creative core self that says, this is the world. Who do you want to be in a world that's suffering? Instead of, what can you do to end suffering? Y'all, suffering been happened since the beginning of time. I know some of y'all think that Adam and Eve started time, but shit happened before that. Suffering just is a part, just as much as light is, just as much as growth is, just as much as expansion and joy is in wholeness instead of a linear judgment. If we either judge something as good or bad, good is at the top, bad is at the bottom. But if we're in wholeness to the wild edges, we are more compassionate and allowing of it all. And imagine somebody you love suffering and you having the compassion and capacity to simply be loving presence with them without judgment. What a gift. Not having to say some snarky remark. Ask ask people who've lost loved ones. I have a friend who has lost a child and he talks about grief and he talks about how the best you can best you can give somebody who's lost a child is just i i'm happy to be present with you and not try to fix and not try to make some um oh god needed your child no he didn't 
this horrible thing happened, period, I am here with you. Right? There, there, sorrow. I see you. I love the Spanish translation of I'm sorry. In English, we say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. When you translate that to Spanish, lo siento is the phrase, and we say lo siento is literally translated, I feel you with my loving presence. And many of you listening, I know, have actually given that loving presence to somebody you care about. And you deny it to yourselves. And so, what's interesting about the wild, wild edges, and my client said to me today, what's coming up, Allison, all this makes sense. It makes sense, but what's coming up is how-to. And for the first time ever, y'all, I have a fucking how-to for you. I have a how-to when you hit the discomfort of the wild edges. And just like if you knew you were going to take a road trip and there would be an off-road section, you gather the tools. I have the how-to tools and I am helping my clients a use those tools and b practice those tools and c create muscle memories for those tools because we are like little kindergartners many many years ago i actually submitted i submitted a request today for a a venue for an event and i got an email back from one of my kindergarten students who's in charge of that uh, facility that was a fun so literally going back to my kindergarten years 25 years ago Imagine a kindergartner that maybe was your child or someone you know. And um, when I was in college, we did some preschool research and studies. And one of the things we were taught to study was the child's dexterity of their fingers, right? Like we were to note when we were studying two, three, and four-year-olds, could they pick up their fine motor skills? That's what it is. Fine motor skills. And by the time I was in kindergarten... Um, kids still didn't have fully developed fine motor skills and we would be trying to teach them how to tie their tennis shoes. And it was always very awkward. Now you and I can reach down and tie a tennis shoe. You can tie your tennis shoe, drive your car, look at your phone, put on your mascara all at the same damn time because you have a muscle memory for it. It is so practiced. You don't even have to think about tying your shoes. You just have to be aware and have the response of tying your shoe. Well, there are things that we do not have the emotional, mental, or physical dexterity for, or nervous system dexterity, and we need to learn those skills. And the very first skill, which some of you do already have, is the noticing. Once you notice, right, they say awareness. Great. Well, what do we do after awareness? Because most of us have awareness, and then we go into judgment, and it loops us back into suffering. So go into awareness, Step number two is believe yourself. Dr. Becky, I don't know her last name, Dr. Becky. (laughs) I heard her talk about children and their emotional experience. And she said, I tell my children, I separate their emotional experience from their behavior. And when my kid says, I don't want to do this, I hate you. She says as a mother, I believe you. I believe your emotional experience. And then she moves on to behavior. And that is the most brilliant fucking thing I've ever heard. So step number two is I believe me. I believe you. I am suffering. I believe you. And then a pause for physical presence. No shame allowed. Just I believe you and a pause. 
pause for physical presence. And then the final step is a choiceful behavior in a different direction. But you can't rush through the pause. The pause has to be compassionate and present. And then we can choose a new direction. And one of the things I'm teaching my clients is it's not a new thought. It's actually what can you do to nourish and strengthen your mental, emotional, and soulful muscles so that, right? So I was working with a client today. Oh, hello, anxiety. Right? They were very frustrated because anxiety is showing up in their sales process. And then the more they tell themselves, I shouldn't be anxious in this sales process, and I shouldn't be anxious with this team, and I shouldn't be anxious with these circumstances at work, but I'm anxious and I'm wrong for it. And I said, well, here's where you go. When you have the two doors between, you have the experience of being anxious, and you have two doors to go through. One of them is I'm the door that says I'm doing it wrong. And then the other door says, and I love you. So one of the things I literally say to myself when I'm anxious, instead of saying stop being anxious, is I'm anxious and I love me. And I slow that down to compassionate presence. And you know what happens? Sometimes the anxiety goes away. Sometimes it doesn't go away. But when I can bring a compassionate, not just lens, not just thought, but literally the physical presence of my heart's electromagnetic field, then guess what happens? Anxiety relaxes and creativity shows up. Same thing happened for my client, right? So we we don't make anxiety go away. We just receive it with compassionate. I believe you. This is an anxiety-inducing situation. That circumstance is a thousand percent. The math equation of this circumstance equals anxiety. Of course you're anxious. You're not wrong. I believe you. And then all of a sudden, their body softens. And next thing you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm coming up with all these creative ideas. Exactly. Because you've been gripping the door of you're doing it wrong. Because you're so unwilling to accept the wild edges of being human. And the wild edges of being human are where you're not centered or where you're angry or where you're experiencing so-called negative emotions. And I will fight the day I die. They're not negative. They're just uncomfortable. And one of the first things I learned in the personal development world is you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, fuck if they weren't right. But we don't have the skills. And that's what I'm helping my clients do. That's what I'm doing for myself. I told a client the other day, I told my therapist full on on Friday or Thursday last week. I said, you know what? I'm coming to realize I've got some pretty mental fucked up shit and I love me. I am I am dealing with a lot. I overthink a lot and I love me. I care too much and I suffer because I care too much and I love me. And then all of a sudden those parts of me that are running around in their too muchness have just witnessed and felt not just me bullshitting them with my outer mantra, but a full body sense of, oh, I'm welcome. And they relax. The wild edge of being human is pulling yourself out of, and listen, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. It's an adventure. 
it's a process. But here's the thing, your nature, I'm sitting right outside my parents' new apartment. There's all these beautiful trees and some of them are turning orange. Some will be evergreen. All Their live oaks will be green all year long. They'll lose some leaves, but they'll still be green. These other trees are starting to turn orange and they will drop everything and appear to be dead. And we don't drive up and go, you dumb tree, you're dead. We go, oh, that tree is in a cycle of being fallow and death for its rebirth. But we don't know how to navigate these cycles because we're always doing the either or, good or bad, good or bad, positive or negative, positive or negative. Fuck that shit. Let's get into a circle. Let's get into the shape of living that supports our souls. The wild edge of being human is about caring for your soul. I already I already know you're going to do the cognitive, y'all. You're cognitively smart. Heck, you're fucking evolved. You got the top of the Maslow's hierarchy down. You think your biggest problem is your sales numbers? No, it's the way you treat your anxiety. It's the way you treat yourself when you're, quote, out of alignment. It's the judgment you have on yourself. And I'm not talking Byron Katie. I mean, there's a time and place for Byron Katie. What if you didn't judge it? It's one of my favorite coaching sessions. What if you didn't judge it? But I think sometimes even that question can come across as a judgment until we learn the skill of being compassionate as a muscle memory. Okay. I've talked a lot today. I've got a lot of words lately. The teacher in me is front and present, and I have got good stuff on all sides coming. I love you. If you would like to be a member of Soulful Success, Solis, not called Soulful Success anymore, my goodness. If you'd like to be a member of Solis, which is my coaching membership program for small business owners, This is not for brand new people. If you need to learn some fundamental sales skills, I need you to go work with a sales coach or go go learn those skills first. But if you're in growth or achievement phase of your business, and yes, I love talking business mojo. We still do that, but I don't lead from that space, right? But what we do is I nurture your soul and I help you develop the skills, the mind, body, emotion, the social emotional skills the be with yourself skills to cultivate a being that can be in a difficult world i help you to meet and be with and be compassionately with these parts of you that you're used to beating up and when we do that process it gently creates a way for the most miraculous creativity and implementation in your life and in your business. Solis has spots. I have spots for five more people. I've sold the uh, first two spots. I have seven spots available. I keep membership below 55 people. This is not a thousand people. Y'all, I'm not that fucking popular. I know I think I should be that popular, but y'all don't realize how small my list is after 20 years and how small my membership is. And right now, anywhere from six to nine people show up in the calls. So personal attention in a group setting, $333 a month. No, there's no long-term fee. Yes, it's a $30,000 plus program. Why? Because five years ago, I got sick of spending $30,000 a year on coaching. And so I created a $30,000 program for $333. Why not? Um, CoachWithAllison.com Thanks for spending time with me. I'll see you next week.